you know, I was commenting to uh, Daniel that the starting pitcher for Hamilton, um, I went to school with his mother. And my sister played soccer with her, and our good friend in love with Paul coached him in soccer. And Daniel was absolutely impressed. He goes, wow, Dad, you have, you have cool friends. I'm like, I don't think they even know who I am. All right, I know who they are. I don't think they'll know who, they, who I am. And then the repeat picture, I'm like, yeah, I went to school with his mother. But if I remember correctly, uh, my ninth grade class trip, uh, I bumped food off of her all trip, as well as others. It was great to pay for a meal. They paid for all my meals. Uh, with that, we played basketball with his father. And uh, one of the other teams is a fellow pastor down there uh, and, that used to play with the Reds. And Daniel was completely impressed. You know, with it. most of them wouldn't know me from Adam, but it, it's kind of nice uh, with that to, to see it. You know, and uh, I don't know why exactly I'm sharing that, but I find it cool. You know, and, and it's a way for us to, to, to maybe have some good news in the midst of everything else, to, to watch them play. Uh, there's such joy watching those kids play, and uh, there's such joy that goes on. And, and I think that reminds us of the fact that others are watching us, and, and as we worship, there should be some joy. So I want to just ask uh, this question as we get started. What? What worship song or hymn is meaningful to you right now? What, what song uh, of the faith, whether it's a contemporary song or not, those of you watching this online, type it in or text it my way. I'd love to know what song uh, is meaningful to you. Maybe it's on repeat. Maybe it's just like, God, uh, I can't wait to hear that again. So what? I'll fly away. It is well with my soul. Because he lives. Because he lives. Death was arrested. Well, no, I think it is, but it's not. I don't know what it is. We have we've sung all of these before. Others. And can it be? We normally sing that around Easter time, but it's a great one. All these are great ones anytime. In Christ alone, I sing the mighty power of God. Ten thousand reasons. Victory in Jesus. Others of you. What wondrous love it is? Okay. Others. Amazing grace.
It's important for us to take stock at times of, of the music, the, the sounds that are impacting us. I have, uh, a lot of these are some of my favorites. In fact, um, growing up, one of the things I enjoyed at times, we still had Sunday evening worship, and at times my mom was the worship leader for that talk. That talk, goodness gracious, that time. And she would do, pick a hymn. And I know there was at least two people in that church that intentionally tried to pick a song my mom never knew. Well, if she didn't know it, she faked it really well. Because there was some that my youth pastor, who has a degree in music theory, could sit at the piano and play anything in any key at a drop of a bucket. You know, he was like, I don't even know this. Yeah, he was a Catherine Note stuff. You know, and, and just to hear some of those things. And there are many a times when I'm just playing music in my own office. Uh, Fear is a liar is one that I've come back to time and time again. Uh, there's a couple by the artist I am today that just comes back again and again and again to me. And it reminds us, as does our passage uh, this morning in 1 Samuel and 1 Samuel 1 and 1 Samuel 2, that worship matters. Public worship matters whether you're joining us online or in person, what we are doing right now does matter. And we are, there's great debate around the Christian circles and leadership of which I keep my ear to what what type of worship maybe you're moving into and what needs to stay and what needs to go. But I think we all can agree that worship matters. See, with Hannah and Elkanah, Elkanah, father of Samuel, was probably in part of the priestly family. You know, he was probably one who was before uh, the uh, the place of God, the tabernacle there in Shiloh. But they worshipped. They, they worship matters. This this hymn that Hannah praised in as 1 Samuel 2 was probably a public hymn during the time. It's based on what she would have sung in worship together. It would have been based on something that when it met, when she needed it, it would come back to her. That's what words and music do. If you've ever, and I've had the chance, in those sacred holy moments when someone is nearing the end of life, there's one thing they could probably always still do until the very end, and that is remember songs. The songs of their childhood. Their songs of the church goes deep. Worship matters. This is why the book of Hebrews, the writer of the speaker of Hebrews says, don't forget about get, getting together with one another. Because it does matter. It matters because it prepares us for the future. See, Hannah and Samuel and Alphanite, they, they have just been faithful as we talked about last week. Faithful time after time after time. Not knowing what would happen tomorrow. But they continue to be faithful and it prepared them for this period that they're going on to. Samuel, in chapter 3 and beyond, as he is faithfully worshiping before the Lord, it is preparing him for that next task that God is going to call him to. In fact, in this hymn, this song of Hannah, 
we read the beginnings of what the prophets will remind the people of God over and over again. There is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one like God, Isaiah and Ezekiel would say. In fact, if you get to the end uh, real quick, we're going to try not to go on too many rabbit trails this week, this morning. At the end of chapter 4, we see that there's a birth of another boy, Ichabod, meaning the glory of God has departed. And we're seeing that 1 Samuel is, is going to give us in this microcosm this idea of all that is going to happen to the nation of Israel. When the ark leaves in 1 Samuel, I think it's a forerunner to when the presence of God leaves in Ezekiel, another Ichabod moment. But in the meantime, we, we see that the Lord, that Anna prays, and she calls him Samuel because I prayed for this child, verse chapter 1, verse 27, and the Lord has given me what I asked. Worship prepares you for the moment when you say, I asked and the Lord provided. You have a story to tell. That's one of the uh, songs in our hymn book. We have a story to tell to the nations. And, and yes, the story is based on who Christ is, but do you have a story of Christ's faithfulness in your life? Or have you never asked the Lord for something and he forgot? If we've not had a, a story about how the Lord has provided, maybe we have not been faithful like Anna to ask what the Lord provides. Worship will prepare us for the future. See, sometimes when life is bad, we can turn away from worship. But sometimes it is when life is bad, we turn to worship because we realize we need something. But... We also need worship in the good times. When it is well with our soul, isn't the song that resonates. But maybe it's that victory chance. The, the fact that we are in a good place. The fact all is going right. And that brings me to this idea that we must be faithful in prosperity. Hannah, Elkanah. It isn't just Hannah is faithful just when things aren't going well. She is faithful every single time. When life goes well, she's faithful. We read in uh, 1 Samuel 2 that every year she goes up to the house of the Lord and brings Samuel a new piece of garment to serve the Lord. In their prosperity, they continue to serve and be faithful to the Lord. It's a reminder that the nation of Israel did not take, did not remember that when they got prosperous, that's when they forgot to worship the Lord. In their prosperity, they missed who God was. I wonder if sometimes that's the case with us. That sometimes it is when everything is going right, we pull away from worshiping with others because we don't need worship. We don't need anything. We don't come to church because we need something. But as um, someone I listened or read recently said, we come to church to bring a sacrifice of praise. It's not about us. It's not about what we get. 
the fact that even in our good times, especially maybe in our good times, we have to sacrifice to show up. Whether that's online or in person. I don't know that sometimes it really matters. But are you worshiping? Or are you not? In our prosperity as a nation, are we being faithful? In the prosperity that you and I have, are we being faithful? In the prosperity of our church, are we continually to be faithful? I think sometimes we can answer yes. But we've got to be careful. Because sometimes we take the blessings of God, the prosperity of God, for granted. And we, and we start to take it on as, look at us, look how good we are because we have been blessed. And Hannah serves as a reminder here that she gives the gift back to God with no assurance of anything else. Do you see how remarkable that is? She brings the child, verse 20, er, uh, brings Samuel back. It says, I give them to the Lord for his whole life, verse 28 of chapter 1. I will, his, for his whole life, he will be given to the Lord. He will serve the Lord there. And she prays this wonderful prayer of how the barren have children. She is asked for the child, and then she does what I don't know that we can grasp she really did. She gives him back to the Lord and says, he's not mine anymore. Or better yet, she realizes he was never hers. And as I thought about this, I, I'm reminded of the scene of Genesis 22, where Abraham has a promised child as well. He kind of asks, who's going to be my heir? And God says, your wife is going to have one. That was even more miraculous than him, who wasn't quite maybe 90-some years old, you know, when Sarah was, and Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac. A very perplexing passage. Well, that there is much debate, and it's still over. But here's what I think, to some extent, God was asking of Abraham. That we see the example in him. God wants to know, are we loving him because of the blessings that he gives us? Are we loving him because he alone is God? Sometimes we confuse the two. Do we love God just because of what he's done for us? Do we love God just because of what he gives us? Or do we love God because he is God? And in the prayer, the song of Hannah, we see that time and time again, she loves God because he is God. He is the God who can, do, who can lift her up he is the God who gives children to the barren. He is the God who humbles the proud and lifts up the humble. He's the judge of all. He is the strength that will be there. He guards the feet of the faithful, she says. And oh, how things would have been different if the nation of Israel would have maybe sung this song more often. Oh, how our life would be different if we would resonate with the songs that are there and actually live them out. We know the end of the story with Hannah. We know that 
according to scripture, that Hannah has at least five more children. And sometimes we forget that because we know it, that they didn't. Hannah had no promise that there was going to be another child. But God is able. God is able, and he does. Chapter 2, verse 21, the Lord was gracious to him. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. What a pronouncement of God's goodness. God's grace. So what do we see in this prayer as I try to continue moving forward? God is able. God's capable of doing anything God wants to do. God, we call it his omnipotence, his all power. God is able. Do you believe it? That should be encouraging that God is able to do something. That's the prayer that Hannah said. If no one else, it's not working out for me in life, but I know one person who is able, and that is God himself. I don't know what you're going through this day. I don't know the pains that you're going through. I know some of the pains of my own heart and life. I know some of the pains of our world. We see those. And I know this. God is able to do whatever he wants. But see, God isn't just able. Because some people will say, well, yeah, he's able, but he's so distant that he doesn't. He will not. He cannot, they would almost say, interact with the prayer of Hannah. And all the scriptures says God does. God is willing to intervene. And we say, well, why hasn't he? We don't know. We don't know, but I can tell you this. God is willing and able to intervene in our world. If that truth is not there, then we never should pray again. Because this doesn't matter. If God isn't willing and able, then we should just go home and never publicly gather for worship. Because it doesn't matter. But when we come into worship, we sing songs, we proclaim prayers, we, we read his word, we proclaim his word, because we know that God is willing and able to do something if he so chooses. Hannah says over again, God causes this and that. He judges the poor. He, he's, he will do these things. And it doesn't mean that God is always the direct cause. But it's the idea of God knows. And so in the end, God kind of causes because he knows what's going to happen. And this is the beauty of Scripture. Unlike other philosophies, unlike other religions, other belief systems, our Lord has made it abundantly clear that God is willing to intervene in this world. The incarnation is the greatest example, but it's not the only. The fact that God intervened to create the world is amazing. The fact that God intervenes, that you and I breathe the air we breathe, is amazing. He is able and willing. And we're going to tackle in two weeks, start a series on, so if this is true, why do we have suffering and evil in the world? Not going to give easy answers, but there aren't any easy answers. Why do we have earthquakes and hurricanes and suicide bombers 
And why is there always conflict? There's no easy answer, but I think Scripture tells us how we can live faithfully in it. And we will come back to God's willing and able. And we are reminded here as I continue to go on, God alone is God. I realize for some this is like a Captain Obvious moment, right? Duh. You know, you're probably not as dense as I am. Lynn, you're probably a little smarter than I am, right? Mona's already saying no, but you know. Uh, see what happens when you come, you know. Uh, sometimes I need the obvious. Okay? Sometimes I need just the obvious to hit myself over the head. Not a joke, I think there's some truth. I don't always get a two by four, because God knows I need the four by four. Alright? And really, if you use the four by four, it gets to me a little quicker than multiple two by fours. You know, with that, God alone is God. She proclaims it over and over and over. See, but we live in a world where this truth will get skewed, where we think we are the God of our world, where we think uh, some good things are the God of our world, where we think we can do it, power is what will get us. And Hannah makes it known, Zechariah will, will give it even more clear, it is not by strength that one prevails. Zechariah goes on to say, it is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord that this will be achieved. God alone is God. What a public worship. To, to understand how powerful this prayer was in the nation of Israel. Look, look, look at Luke chapter 1, where another mother has a prayer, the mother of Mary, of our Lord, where she patterns her praise after the prayer of him. Worship matters. But yet, as we continue on in this chapter, we read about others that are a part of worship. We read in chapter 2, verse 12, Eli, Eli's son had no regard for the Lord. The Bible says scoundrels. Actually, interesting enough, it's the same thing that Eli tried to use against Hannah in chapter 1. She had no regard for the Lord and how she was praying. And now the table had been turned where Eli's son had no regard for the Lord. They're scoundrels. And it reminds us of this. Just because you're present in worship doesn't mean you're being faithful. Just because you're present in a church body doesn't mean all is okay. You can do whatever you want. And then should not surprise us of sin in the church, though it should grieve us. But it should not surprise us when even pastors and church leaders do awful, awful things. But it should grieve us. Because we, as God's people, we understand that God is holy. We understand that by grace alone we are saved. We understand the mark of sin and the price it paid. But don't ever confuse because you come to worship. When you sing the songs, that you are faithful. Saying we'll be faithful to the Lord. We can say that Othony and Phineas were faithful to themselves. 
to get what they want. They use their position of religious authority, their spiritualness, to get what they want. You will give me the facts, those to be burnt up, and you will give it to me now, or I will make life difficult. We too must always be there. I wonder then if that's not why the Lord said, first take out the log in your own eye, and then you can see the speck in somebody else's. The closer we are to Christ doesn't always mean we behave as Christ would. That is the pool of our relationship with him. We think we're good. But if we're not careful, we will miss it. Samuel has no idea. He's not concerned necessarily about always being faithful. He's just doing what he's doing. And God honors that. God honors that. As we move forward, kind of in chapter 2, I think we see this. God's promises require an appropriate response. What is your response to sin? God's promises that he makes doesn't mean just because he made a promise you get to do whatever you want. Interesting here is um, in, in 1 Samuel 2, 30. The Lord, the God of Israel, declared to me that I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. We don't have record of this, but somewhere God made a promise to Eli to say, I will make sure your house will always serve before me. What a promise! And we get to this, and he goes on to say, but far be it from me. And he uses four words in the Hebrew language that we take more. Those who honor me will be honored. Those who despise me will be despised and disdained. We say, well, did, is God reneging on his promise? No. Because God never really made a promise that someone would get to be experience the blessings of God without, uh, without the understanding that they ought to act out that promise. It wasn't just a blank check to Eli and his family. Do whatever you want, you can always serve before him. No, far be it from the Lord. To give us a blank check and say, do whatever you want and just expect my blessings. That may be hard for us to hear, but I think we need to see it. Samuel or Saul later on had, had a similar. He could have had a promise. I will always have someone, but he, he failed to be obedient and faithful to the Lord. That's why in Revelation, time and time again, those who overcome, those who are faithful, I believe once saved that you are secure in your salvation, but that does not mean you get to do whatever you want. That's not the appropriate response to the grace of Christ. And if you're not bearing fruit, I will do my best not to judge you, but I will inspect the fruit. We had peaches from the Bayhams the other day. Great peaches. The first batch was great. The second batch, not so much. Now, was that their fault? No. We let them sit on the a table until they got all soggy and juicy. I was I wanted to, but I wasn't about ready to lick the juice off the bag. Why would I not eat that second peach? Because I noticed it wasn't healthy. It wasn't good. We do it all the time. 
not that we're saved by the works. We are absolutely not. It is by grace alone and Christ alone for him alone. But if there's nothing else after that, we got to ask, are we really saved? Are we really saved? Last, God can do something new. See, God doesn't change, but God doesn't always do the things God has always done. And to that we ought to be able to say amen. Because if not, Jesus wouldn't have come if it was just about the nation of Israel. You and I, as Gentiles, would cease to be in the presence of God. We wouldn't be the people of God. Just because God is unchanging doesn't mean God doesn't change how he interacts. Because it does. And what we see here with the birth of Samuel is that God is initiating a new stage in the life of Israel. God soon will be the days of judges. God soon will be the days of a tribal leadership. Because God is doing something new. We read in the last book of Revelation that he said, Behold, I do something new. And I think this should be an encouraging for us. That there are times that when we are being faithful to God, that God's going to say, I want to do a new work within you, a new work within us as a church. And our task is to say, okay, Lord, what are you doing next? And next may be something that's always been done. But sometimes it may be something new. And I know that is hard for all of us. I know that one of the things that makes me frustrating to many, makes me odd, a little crazy, or a lot crazy, I'm always looking at what's What's next? Believe it or not, I've already prayed, Lord, what's next for us as a church? I may not like it. I might. But I'm asking, what's next? Where are we going? What is that new that he wants to do here? And you and I's task is to be like him. Faithful in adversity, but a faithful in prosperity where we will be willing to hear what God will do, that we continue to uh, respond appropriately to the grace of God each and every day. Because then we will see what God sees. I don't think I'm going to be in chapter 3 next week. Maybe I will. Plan on being in Matthew. But as much of a scoundrel Levi was, as much as he knew his time was coming short, he saw that God was going to do something new. And he trained Samuel to hear the word of the Lord. He trains him to be the servant of the Lord. Even though that meant his time was to come to an end. I wonder if to some extent, and I may be stretching it a whole lot, I think I probably am, but I think it's powerful enough to still go forward. If we do not see Eli similar to John the Baptist, where he says at the end of chapter 2, 
from the beginning of chapter 3, I must decrease so someone else can increase. And that's what you and I should say. I must decrease so someone else can increase. And in so doing, something amazing will happen. What will that be? I have not a clue yet. I just know the ride will be pretty far. It's going to have some highs. It's going to have a lot of lows. But as we worship together, our worship will prepare us for that next stage, that next thing. Until that final worship scene is coming, where we worship before the throne of God, face to face, with our fellow believers, with our Lord, fireside. And we say to you, all praise and glory and honor be now and forever. Father, I thank you for this.